はいどちらもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどっちもどちらもどちらもどっちもどっちもどちらもはいどちらもどっちもどっちもどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっちどっSound like really boring movies. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and for some reason, all my muscles felt tired at the end of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna double check my letterbox because I feel like there was something I watched, but I, I might just be thinking of last time. Um, I'm gonna pull up our our stairwell spreadsheet. 
Um, yeah, I didn't really watch. The main reason why I've been watching is that I'm playing Shin Megami Tensei Five, mm-hmm. which is a video game. Yeah. Um, I feel like there haven't been any notable stairwells yet. Okay, good to know. Yeah. If there's like a really good stairwell, I might talk about it. Okay. How are you liking SMT5? Um, good. It's the systems are like a little too easy sometimes. That's what I heard. Like, there's this new thing where you just get these like essences of the demons all the time, and then you can just like use them to just give demons skills really easily. And so it's no longer like oh, if I really want to get a demon that has, like, this skill, I might need to, like, make sure that I'm fusing earlier in the process, like, another demon that will have that skill that can pass it on and, like, inherit. Um, Which, like, some of the stuff used, like, skill cards where you could teach those, but they felt like far more precious commodities, whereas this, you just get a bunch Mm -hmm. of them. Um, So, yeah. It feels like if you take the difficulty out of smt5 i don't actually know or the smt series i don't know what like the identity is yeah there's still there's still like some of it but it's yeah it's just not Mm -hmm. it's like this also happened with persona 5 which is that like persona 5 just has systems where it's so easy if you like know how these games work to just very quickly break the game Mm mm-hmm um and if you're like a newcomer you might be like oh i didn't realize i could do this whereas like i played persona 5 and instantly was like okay i know exactly how to farm a bunch of money in this game Mm -hmm. because of the way that the system is working and then i can use that money to pay the fortune teller Mm -hmm. so that i just never have to like spend time with anyone and not level up the social link Mm -hmm. and so then i just max first run every single social link Mm -hmm. um and that's like really difficult to do normally Mm -hmm. and i can just completely game it and do it Mm. um yeah so well that's I'm, the last I'm time hoping... we're ever talking about video games on this podcast yeah i'm hoping that some of the boss fights later on will get a little bit more tricky that's the place where they can still sometimes bring it in is just yeah. like is when the the bosses start knowing this is a really good thing in um smt4 is that mm. the bosses, they were late game bosses and like optional bosses that you could do that did the same tricks that you did uh-huh. where you're like, okay, now how do I get past this person who just like is null all tax types? Uh-huh. No matter what I do, mm-hmm. it doesn't it ha- like hurt them. How do I get past that? Mm. Which is a thing that you'll do. You'll like set up your character to be like that mm-hmm. so that you just never get fucked over. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that there'll be some late game stuff like that. But if there's not, I'll... It, it's fun, but I don't know. Yeah. I just like these games. Yeah. We watched Pale Flower. We did. So you didn't watch anything else? No. Okay. No. The, the one other thing I watched is I watched some more of the um, Only Murderers in the Building, the show that Emily's cousin's in. But I don't have anything to say about it. So Pale Flower. Um, oh, I'm so fucking tired. <laughs> We named the podcast after this movie. We named the podcast after this movie. Um, yeah, for people who maybe are newer listeners, um, Nia and I started hanging out and like watching movies uh, every week. And then at one point we we're like, what if we just did, recorded a podcast episode after the Pale Flower was one of the movies we watched um, in that little between time where we were hanging out and watching movies, but we were not doing a podcast. Yeah. And so now we're just circling back. Um, I'm trying to find the energy and we'll get it. 
<laughs> Eventually. The, the vibes are different. The vibes are different. Yeah. It's also it, not us hanging out in my living room, mm-hmm. half whispering vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure people are thankful for. The audio is probably going to be better on this one. But this is the third different vibe yeah. from that. <laughs> well, at some point we're going to switch to doing this in my living room. Um, but anyway. Um, the fuck was I talking about? Pale Flower. Pale it's a movie. Flower is a. Do you want me to pull it up on Wikipedia? From 1964, directed by Masahiro Shinoda. Um, it is. Um, uh, Sonatine is a remake of this movie. <laughs> That's Sonatine makes some important additions. <laughs> this movie does still, to me, feel ahead of its time for like yes. what Yakuza movies at the time yes. were doing. So if if you know if it's been a while since we've done a Yakuza movie, which is a weird thing to say, usually <laughs> that is not yeah. true. Well, well but, yeah, I guess so. We we had the whole like Halloween thing, so yeah, it has yeah. been a little while. But last like, one we watched was Hibari no Mar no Ishimatsu, which very different vibe. But like people remember, like you know, we were talking the last couple times on Hibari no Mar no Ishimatsu and Red Peony Gambler Three, like. There is such a like powerful formula to these movies, and and you know, Red Peony Gambler Three comes out in, I think sixty eight or something. It probably yeah, says in the spreadsheet 69. somewhere. Sixty nine, um, somewhere in that. This movie comes out in sixty four, and it's just like man, fuck the formula, <laughs> fuck everything you knew. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a movie where one man walks around, doesn't remember his lines. And is sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and it, it's great too because, like, we we did it a lot earlier, uh-huh. but I think of like both of these movies are kind of doing the formula. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I'm I'm thinking about here is Tokyo Drifter, and Tokyo Drifter, like both mm. of them are like the formula is there, and we're just like using it to talk about something else. Yeah. And with so- Tokyo Drifter, it's like. The formula is there so that I don't even have to think about plot. Like, the formula just does it for me, and I can just do pure aesthetics. Yeah. That's all I'm in it for. Mm -hmm. I just want stuff to look good. Yeah. You know the formula. You don't have to worry about it. This movie has some elements of, like, the Yakuza formula. Like, Mm -hmm. there... We'll get into more detail in a minute, but, like, it's got a little bit of that. But one, it is not Technicolor, like so many of these movies are. Yeah. Two, um, it's just depressing. Yeah. That's its main characteristic, I feel yeah. like. Is that it's fucking sad. Um, <laughs> this, and, you know, part of me, like, we're talking about this. We talked about some of these ones that are, like, in this Ninkyo Ega era. Um, chronologically out of order. But I kind mm-hmm. of wanted to do Pale Flower last just because even though it, happens earlier than like red peony gambler which is just like this is the formula done in, like the formula is so completely codified now that um we're just doing it extremely well mm. um and this is still in this period where like this formula is exists but hasn't like been set in paper or like set in stone in the same way mm. that has when we get to red peony gambler and then something like battles without needs to respond to just how like absolutely set this formula is um 
But this is still doing stuff that I would expect more of Jutsuroku stuff, which is what comes next, which is like, this is not like the, the whole thing with Ninkyo is that it's like, oh, it's about this like struggle between like your humanity and then like the duty that you have to the family. Mm. And it's, it's really melodramatic and it's melodramatic in this way. That's like, it is an anti-hero who like really wants to fight back against the boss, but like, mm. you know, the tragedy of, you know, but all of it is like told in this very, like, Oh, they are a hero. They're a heroic figure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and like so much of the violence is like couched within that framing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this movie, you still kind of get that happening, right? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, the bosses kind of suck. He, like... But, like, the humanity is just that, like, he just, like, hates his existence. Yeah. Right? It's not like, yeah. <laughs> I want to, like... I want to, like, have this normal life where I'm in love with this woman or whatever. It's like, no, like, the connection that we have, me and this woman, is that, like, both of us just, like, fucking hate existing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, we're just like fundamentally alone yeah. in our existence and that is the thing that bonds us and then she watches me kill a man and like <laughs> <laughs> this is like the only time that any of us feel anything <laughs> is when I kill a man because my boss told me to <laughs> um yeah and like there is just such um you know so many of the formula movies there is like the inevitability and the tragedy of everything. Um, but it's because like, you know, I don't want to do these things. Like, I don't want to like, I don't want to be the Tokyo drifter and kill a hundred guys, but, um, I'm honor bound and duty bound. And that's the tragedy. Um, the tragedy in this movie is set up in that. Like we open on him getting out of prison one of the first things he goes and does is he goes home to see his like girlfriend. Girlfriend. She's yeah. okay. She's not his wife, and that he is not married to her. But in sort of like the language of storytelling, she's his wife because there's yeah. this other like mistress girlfriend yeah. type. She's um, the. They are like Commonwealth married. Yeah, but not married in a way that matters to the boss. Yeah. So he get he gets out of prison and he goes to see his wife, and um, they live in um, a, a clock shop. They live in a <laughs> clock shop, and so there's just clocks on every inch of the walls, and it is the most doomed that anyone has ever been yeah. in cinema. <laughs> it's not. It's not like the story is about how she's like a you know the daughter of a clockmaker or something. No, they just live in a. a place just filled with clocks so that whenever he goes home it's just the uh, inexorable march of time is just (laughs) like taunting him it is both the inexorable march of time and also the constant counting down to his own death (laughs) like it is both things simultaneously and it is also the, the the cycle of you know granted i've seen this movie before but like you know he got out of prison, and as soon as you see those clocks, you're like, oh, he's ending this movie back in prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lo, you're right. He's get, He ends yeah. this movie back in prison. <laughs> um, but then there's just a lot of scenes of gambling mm. in this movie. Um, we... <laughs> <laughs> so we had the blue uh, Criterion Blu-ray of it, and we watched this interview with um, Shinoda, 
And he <laughs> talks about having an argument sort of with um, the screenwriter. He wrote half the script. The, scre- the screenwriter wrote the other half of the script. And he had, Shinoda had uh, these lengthy, lengthy, like, multi-page um, like gambling scenes written out like you say this you say that and the screenwriter was like nothing happens you just yeah nothing changes <laughs> like there's no story progression that happens yeah just write like gambling just write they gamble move on to the next yeah. scene um and so shinoda is like well i didn't want him to quit so i i acquiesced and on the day that it came that we were supposed to shoot the gambling scene, I got out the novel that this movie was based on. And, I just... <laughs> and then I just shot, like, page for page from the novel. Incredible. King shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that interview had some other great moments. I think my other favorite was where he was like, yeah, you know, casting, like, I had this opportunity to cast this guy. He was, like, a big leading man at the time, but, like, he really had this, like, certain image to him that I just didn't know if I'd be able to fight against. And I was like, I really just want a totally washed up dude. And so, Ikebe Rio was just totally fucking it up. And he, he couldn't do, he couldn't do his lines in this, like, play he was cast in. It was awful. And then I went to him and I was like, I want you. And he was like, Why? I suck. Nobody wants to hire me. <laughs> Shinoda also mentions because <laughs> this this interview is shot in you know I think sometime in the 2010s or something. Yeah. I don't know. He's like, I want a really washed up actor, you know, like Mickey Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Um, it would have to be like 2011 because it would have to be a, at a moment in time where anybody remembered the wrestler. Yeah. Um. <laughs> honestly he's a great cast for this though oh he's incredible uh, like because also he he did like various roles like this mm. um like he's a known actor and yet he has this like you you get the feeling just every time you see him of like he is old now yeah he is not like the young guy that he was i so i have not seen any ozu movies um i've not seen uh any of the other like um Shinoda mentions a bunch of other movies that Rio was in. Yeah. Um, and uh I I I'm not familiar with them. He but um they show like stills during the interview of him in like these various Ozu movies and these various other movies, and you're like, did he age like twenty years and like two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean some of it is probably just how he's shooting him too. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, for sure. You know. Uh, there's probably very little makeup on him, whereas yes. a lot of other movies might be doing it. Because yeah. He just wants him to look tired. Yeah. Constantly. <laughs> Everybody in this movie looks tired, even the beautiful woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's, I think, I think it's a hard job as an actor to like, he does not, he is not supposed to like do a whole lot in this movie in that like he is supposed to do one thing which is look disaffected and sad yeah and he's supposed to and, do that and walk gracefully and walk gracefully and erotically <laughs> yeah and erotically <laughs> don't forget which erotically. he does he <laughs> yes does. he does do this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like he um like 
like Shinoda is directing him to like have this very like very 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 limited range of like what he can do. He's just like looking down. He's got like his eyes are like half open. He's like smoking. He doesn't care what's going on. People are telling him things. He's just like sure whatever. It seems like it would be really challenging as an actor to like make that come to life on the screen. Yeah. But I I think I think he sells it really well. <laughs> yeah. And then the moment at the end which we keep we'll we'll get there in terms of us doing a slow synopsis but where he stabs a man he's just like full acting it's the only time you see him smile in this movie is while he's stabbing the man Mm -hmm. and then when it's done he's just like having like a reaction i'll 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 do a very quick synopsis because there's this pretty plot light movie um so uh uh ikebe's character uh rio i don't is it is it Akebe would be family name. Okay, so Akebe's character um, gets out of prison. Um, he's part of this Yakuza family, and um, he's just killing his time by going to um, like gambling dens. He meets this girl who like always wants to play like the highest stakes tables, basically. Um, and he's like attracted to her. She's like, she's like kind of attracted to him, but like the attraction is also like, can you get me into higher stakes tables? You know. Yeah. Um, and they have this sort of relationship that is based on, like, he is this disaffected, sad guy. He is a Yakuza. He's just going to do whatever his boss says. He does these shitty jobs. He doesn't make much money. And she is a high society girl who drives this hot rod, who goes to these gambling dens, um, who's, like, intrigued by this guy who's going to show her how to shoot up dope and stuff, all these sorts of things. Yeah. She's Which just... notably is not... Yeah. Ikebe Ryo's character yeah. is this other guy who Ikebe Ryo, like, hates. Yes. Ikebe Ryo hates drugs because he, like, you know. Yeah. For for him, it's like, oh, you're doing drugs. You're not going to be able to do work. And work is the only thing that, like, has any meaning in my yeah. life. Um, so um, they have this relationship and it just kind of, like, they just kind of, like, say sad poetry at each other and reflect on like the nature of like how existence is terrible. Yeah. Um, and like eventually something happens where, um, a member of, uh, Ikebe is like Yakuza family gets killed and Ikebe is like volunteers. Like I'll go. Um, yeah, this is a great scene where the boss is like on the phone and like, you know, brought watermelons to everyone. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, so who's it going to be? Yeah. And then nobody stands up. Yeah. Um, except for the like one brand new guy. Yeah. And he's like, you're you're too new for this. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to send you to kill literally the boss of the rival gang. Is yeah. Who we're killing here. Yeah. It's not like some low life. Like, I'm not sending the first person I'm having you kill is the boss of the rival gang. Yeah. And nobody else is speaking up and. And so Ikebe Ikebe Ryo stands up and he's like, I'll go back to prison. Sure. Just give me a couple days so I can like talk to this girl. He can't find this girl because she's doing a bunch of drugs, but he finds her and he's, he's like, Hey, you know, what's better than drugs. You don't watch me kill a guy. And she's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so he does and then he walks up a really long ornate stairwell you might be familiar with it if you've seen the uh art for this podcast <laughs> yeah it's the it's the like default art for yeah yeah um and then he stabs a man and she watches mm-hmm. um, and it's the only time he smiles in the whole movie yeah and the only time he like really emotes at all yeah. 
Um, and, and they then, like they like share eye contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes to prison. Yep. And two years then, later. We get an epilogue uh, from two years later where he meets somebody. It, the, the two years later epilogue is not even him getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one one of his like quote unquote younger brothers in the family like starts going to these gambling dens, and then the yeah. other part of the epilogue is that someone comes into prison and is like that girl you were into is dead, and he's like, oh my god, and the and then he's like. We found out once she died that she was actually, you know, and then before he can say, like, oh, she was actually, like, this famous person's son or whatever it is. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was trans. Um, She was trans the whole time. (laughs) Before we could find that out, uh, like, he gets interrupted. Yeah. And we get uh, Rio. Fuck, I can't talk. Um, Like, being like... It doesn't matter who she is. I just hunger for her. And yeah. then, you know, the end. Yeah, it was a vampire movie the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Movie fucking whips. It's really good. Yeah. And it's... So this is one of those two where I'm like... Because this is the second Yakuza. Like, your introduction to, to Yakuza movies were, were Battles Without and then this one. Mm. And I feel like you got, like... This is what the form is like moving into. And that's part mm-hmm. of why I was like, I want to do these like Ninkia ones. Because mm-hmm. I, I do think that having some grounding of like, this is what the formula is. And this is how these things are structured. Helps you appreciate what this movie is doing and why this movie is like mm-hmm. exciting. Because I think you can, you can watch it for the first time now and be like, oh, this is what a lot of crime movies are. And it's like, no, like this ate the godfather's lunch yeah like, years earlier um, <laughs> yes like, <laughs> yes like it already had person going to kill someone while like mm-hmm. a coral track plays like <laughs> um, yeah that but was... i mean they're, they're pulling off of like some crime stuff too from like hollywood from you know yeah but it... this is such like a form that mm. i think a lot of people would associate more with like honestly 70s american cinema yes um and it's happening here like earlier and it's specifically responding to this formula that is about like like i've talked about this idea of ninkyo ega being um like i think one of the things that i actually agree with and it's it's part of why like overall yakuza cinema excites me a lot it's because how people then respond to this is that especially like ninkyo style is this release valve of like oh i hit my landlord or oh i hit my boss and i wish i could like kill them and then you watch a movie where a criminal does it and they're kind of a hero but they're also a criminal so we wouldn't Mm -hmm. be like them Mm -hmm. right um like wouldn't it be bad to be a criminal i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. i'm not going to kill my boss it's nice to watch the movie where the criminal kills his boss Mm -hmm. but i'm not going to do that Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of like can be this thing that releases this, um, impulse towards like, oh, I should actually revolt against the system that I'm currently in. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's actually this read that's common for even a lot of people who really like Yakuza films in Japan of like the formula, the base formula from Ninkyo Ega is inherently fascistic. Like it is about like actually continuing these fascist systems by having this thing that like Mm -hmm. gives you the sense of rebellion, but also reminds you that that rebellion is like a crime. Mm -hmm. 
um, and that you would not be that person. You are not a Yakuza. Yakuza's are losers. Um, they're folk heroes, but they're losers. Jitsuroku stuff, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to like a Battles Without, because I think Battles Without actually is such a success because it's not doing it as interestingly. But this is like interesting because I think it's specifically about like no existing under capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like in the thing that we were watching too, he's like talking about the the U.S. occupation of Japan and how Japan yes. like didn't actually get a choice of like are we siding with the U.S. or are we siding with the Soviet Union because mm-hmm. being occupied by the U.S. decided that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the Japanese government decided that in a way that like intellectuals who would be making movies like these mm-hmm. felt like they had no control over. Yeah, and this is this was the first time I through this movie, and this time I was like. Oh, this feels like so much about how like it it feels like evidently about like being ground under the wheel of like modern life and and thereby capitalism. I don't think it's a movie about capitalism, but it feels like it is like ah, like there's no meaning to like this sort of modern life. I connected a lot to like the malaise of like film noir from the 40s and and you know, um new Hollywood 70s cinema um like all this, like, oh, I just hate being alive. Yeah. And I connected, I connect that to capitalism, but I, it was really interesting here to hear Shinoda one, draw that same connection and two, be like, you know, explicitly tied into like, you know, Japanese national identity and being occupied. Yeah. Um, and so that's like, this is one of the things that some of the, the later stuff I find interesting. Like, this is part of why I love Sonatina is that, Whenever people are killing people in Sonatine, they are working. Uh-huh. Um, and the moments of like joy in that movie are moments where they get to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie hasn't gotten there yet because the moment of joy he has is when he's doing his job of killing a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still like this like more transgressive thing that he gets to do, and it's not just his like normal day to day work. Um, but this is still a movie that I think is setting up in a way that the formula, like Red Peony Gambler is not having Oryu being like, oh, this is my job. Mm -hmm. Like, she's like trying to sort out the situation with the, you know, um, impersonator and trying to help the the blind girl or whatever. And like all of this, like, it's like all of these more, um, intrinsic or like altruistic things that she wants to do. Um. To, like, address, like, these senses of honor or, you know, taking care of people in the world or whatever. In here, um, Maruki is the actual character's name. We just say, keep saying EKB because yeah. actors. But, <laughs> um, honestly, the subtitles say his name far more than the actual Japanese does, where they usually just say Anaki. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really common. I, w- I love I... when they just translate Anaki as, like, bro. It's one of my favorite yeah. things in the Yakuza movies. <laughs> Um, but like, this is a movie in a way that a lot of the other stuff we haven't watched yet, but some of the stuff later on is going to do where the Yakuza, like the protagonist is, is, is working and it is like figured as like, this is a job that he is doing and that he is trapped in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a job that like not all of us have. And yet we can even more directly. And I think this is where this is like deviating from the formula is, oh, I wish I could kill my shitty boss. Um, but so much of it is still not about that in a way where like, you don't pay attention. Like, that's not what you're going in and watching is being like, oh man, it sucks being like having a job and being a laborer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you watch this movie and it's impossible not to have that read yeah. of what are these stories about in a way that you have to like more confront that that's like what Yakuza cinema is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, and it's just like the, the thing that was so, and like, obviously it was picking up on this the first time, but it felt like it was really just smacking me in the face the second time through was like he's really attracted to this girl um because she's more like uh, one I think he's attracted to her because she is different from this girl he that he's like quote unquote not married to but married to like oh this is something different um I was in prison for three years let me just do this thing that's different I think that's yeah. part of the attraction I think the other part of the tr- the attraction is like she's closer to like what my life is like as a Yakuza. Um, and then he gets involved with her and he just like resents her for being rich. He's like, ah, man, you don't get it at all. I thought you got it. Yeah. Your dad just gives you money and you're like, he's at this hotel business meeting with another Yakuza, like mem, like family yeah. leader and like trying to convince them on this business deal, blah, blah, blah. I, I couldn't follow the specifics. They don't matter. Um, <laughs> they never matter in these movies. <laughs> And he sees her, like, getting courted by, you know, like, high society businessmen, and he, like, just hates her, you know? Yeah. But then he also still wants to fuck her really bad. (laughs) (laughs) But pointedly doesn't fuck her. Yes. Yeah. Has the opportunity to later in the movie, because there's a a police raid, and he's like, oh, ha, ha, what if we pretended we didn't know about the gambling because we were in this hotel room fucking, ha, ha. Take your mm-hmm. take your shirt off just so we can pretend better. Ha ha. Yeah. I've already got my shirt off. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, he like has this opportunity to like have sex with her, and he just won't do it. Um, yeah. And they they um like play at gambling basically. Yes. She has like a couple cards still from yeah. the gambling in her hand, and so she's like, "Okay, I'm gonna like do the call where I I hold one up, and then you just say what you have." basically yeah. the the um, the the sex is not like a thing i think he would enjoy at all it's like the thrill seeking is the yeah. only thing for both of them and so they have to get this like tiny rush of thrill speaking by gambling um this is maybe also a good moment to to briefly talk about like the the quote-unquote wife that we're talking uh-huh. about who really should just like this he has no interest in her. She's in like three scenes. Yeah. And she should really like, she probably should take his advice of like, please just marry the nice boy from your office. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's going to be so much better for you. Yeah. Um, She's got, but the, the movie makes it clear very early on that he does fuck good. <laughs> so the like, dick is good. Yeah. Um, she is, she is, um, I have not seen Ozu movies. But I imagine her as being a character in an Ozu movie because she's like, my father is a terrible man and he makes me live in this shop with all these clocks. And there's a nice boy in my office who I could marry, but I'm just not that into him. Like, I, she's yeah. a, she is the protagonist of a different movie. And in this movie, she's here for like three scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's just there to get fucked over by the guy with the good dick. The dick is so good. Yeah. <laughs> There's an entire other movie that's, like, the tragedy of her, like, yeah. love for this man. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he just won't, like, reciprocate at all, but the dick is so good that she can't let go. <laughs> um, 
I feel like there are like two other big things mm. with this movie that I want to make sure that we hit mm. before we like get to emails or whatever. Yeah. Um, you mean the two best parts of the movie? Well, wait. So there might you, be more. Okay. There, there are two before we like really get to like the stairwell scene and everything. Oh, okay. We'll talk Three. about that too. Three. Okay. Um, I'm I'm including that in the. Here's the stuff I want to talk about before we get to. We All then the rate the segments. stairwell, yeah. which is us talking about one of the other big things we want to talk about. Yeah. Um. But, so one of them is this is just an incredible shot black and white film. Oh my um, god! The lighting beautiful. in it is fucking incredible. Um, we were we were like talking during it this time of. I'm pretty sure during the gambling scenes, it's just bright lights up mm-hmm. above, overhead, and what's happening is like. If you're shooting on film, um, you'll often have like your your primary light, like your your key light, and that's gonna be doing like the actual primary highlight on a, a person's face. And then you want to fill in some of the other shadows on the other side because otherwise it's often gonna be too like stark of mm-hmm. a, a contrast. And so usually what you actually use is like basically a giant white like sheet of something, mm. right? Um, there are different ways, like in film school, you would just like literally use like a giant sheet of white poster board. But if obviously per, like professional, professional production. stuff will have like an actual white sheet that's like held in whatever and, mm. and like maneuver, you know, but anyway, I think that basically the gambling table, which is pure white mm. is functioning the same way. Yeah. And so you almost get this effect as if people are being lit from below, but I think it is just the light from above, yeah, reflecting off of the white and then like filling yeah. in those those shadows. It's such a cool um, effect, yeah. And then you get the shots of so then like that's happening, but then if you have like over the shoulder, you get the shadows behind, mm. um, and so it just like creates this like interesting space for those mm. those gambling scenes. Those are the ones where I feel like you get the most intense like within the shot. Here is bright white, here is dark black, because mm. the cards will also get like laid down on that table and are just pure black. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it's just incredible how black they are. Like the mm. contrast in those shots are incredible. Mm. Um, whereas throughout a lot of the rest of the film, there's a ton of night shots mm-hmm. where it's just very dark. Like everything is dark. Mm-hmm. Um. We were watching a Blu-ray. I'm sure a DVD, this would look way worse. But, like, there's so much good um, separation of, like, different black levels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. it's still very, very dark. Yes. And then the movie will, like, often... Here's a a night scene, and then we'll just immediately cut to, like, we're at the hotel where this business meeting is going to happen. And it's daylight, and it's fucking bright as shit. Yes. Um, And, like, you you are constantly getting the contrast, both within shots, but also, like, between shots. There is is Um, almost... The the feeling it gave for me, um, maybe this is because I had I had joked earlier that everybody's just speaking to each other in like these poetic lines about hate yeah. and being alive. There's almost a like poetic rhythm to it, um, where you get to the end of a line and this whole the whole scene is really dark, and then you get to the start of the next line and it's the high contrast, ultra saturated white that's just like hurt my eyes a couple times the yeah. way that it just like snapped to yeah. um we were just watching on a decent sized tv with like yeah not a ton of lights turned on if you were watching this in a theater it'd I, be fucking incredible i would actually like blink a few times every yeah. time it happened and there is such if you, a like, if you have that like light sneezing thing people will be sneezing in the theater <laughs> for sure <laughs> and yeah like it feels like a very specific like rhythm to it like you know 
we talked earlier about like the clocks being like, you know, there's a cycle that is going to repeat. He's going to go back to prison. There is like a rhythm, a cycle to all these really dark nights and you have to wake up and go back to work the next day. And it's, Oh my God, I've got a hangover. The lights are so bright. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And it's just, it's incredible. I mean, it, it's so good. I like, these are the things that I love about movies in a way that this is a podcast where I try to like capture some of this stuff mm. because I feel like it's so easy in a podcast to be like, mm. Oh, let's talk about the plot or whatever. Mm. And to be like, no, it's just fucking incredible when it's really dark. And then suddenly it's like <laughs> bright as shit. And you're like, fuck my eyes hurt. <laughs> That's a great part of cinema. I love movies. <laughs> um, the other big thing, I, I feel like I have more than, than yeah. um, these two things, yeah. but <laughs> um one of the other big things is just like how composed so many of these shots mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like some of it works too because it's a lot of people like sitting and talking or walking slowly through a space. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still just like such consideration for where are people going to be placed and mm-hmm. like how are we going to frame it up? Um, like even like in the little noodle shop. Yeah. Um, there's very little camera movement. There is. Um... Like the 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 um, they get some like pace to it just by like doing like pretty quick shots with shot reverse shots sometimes and so, like cutting between different things, but other than one scene, the camera hardly ever moves. It did, it's not never. There's like a really nice shot pretty early on where it like moves across this uh thing. There's a really nice shot later on where. Um, you get the, the boss brings in the watermelons and then he walks over here. The camera follows him and he walks back. He walks over here. Camera's following him around. But even that is just the camera pivoting. And like, I don't think there's any handheld shots here. I think it is all like when there is camera movement, it is all like this very still dolly, except for the big car chase scene. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, that the, the scene with the boss and the watermelon especially sticks out to me because of the like <clears throat> it shifts around of like oh here they're looking at the the younger guy who's volunteering mm. um and then it like shifts in this way where like it's framed really nicely and you can kind of just see ek Rio mm-hmm. like out of like you know there's like a, a post blocking our way mm-hmm. and so you don't see his full body but you like see his like face and like you know some of the front of his body yeah um, as he's standing there, uh, like in the background, kind of being like, "It, I, I'm just gonna be me. I know it's gonna be me." Yeah. Um, yeah. While the as soon as that camera being... fell on him, you know it's him. Yeah. Know? Even though it's like he's not the prominent part of the shot, it's yeah. still framing it in a way where you're just like, "Shit." Yeah. <laughs> um. The other big thing is the uh, inexplicable dream sequence. Oh, I love it so which much. Which is great. Um, it just suddenly becomes like a weird abstract film. <laughs> this, honestly, the 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 um, the dream sequence in some ways is what makes this movie about like modern life and not like life generally because like the the dream sequence feels so tied up in like I don't think it's like capital F Freudian, but I think it is just a very like, oh, how do we signify that people are um, like really distressed? Let's go to like psychoanalysis 101. Let's do a dream sequence, you yeah. know, and let's just do the most heavy handed symbols of like, he's looking in through a window and he sees this girl 
um, shooting up dope. And that's like his fear, you know? Yeah. Um, um, and just like the weird processing they do in the film is incredible. It's so good. Um, that shot of when he's like opening the door and then it cuts to the inside and it's just pitch black. And then he's just like opening and there's like the beam of light and Mm. him like separating it out. It's the way that this movie gets lavish for the dream sequence is so fun because it's like, it doesn't, it would be easy to do a dream sequence where you do, where you go to the handheld camera and you're just moving around going crazy. And what this movie instead does is it keeps its general like tone, but just gets weird with the editing where like before it's been like shot, cut, cut. And here it's like, oh, we're crossfading in an ocean for just a few frames and then the ocean fades back out. And oh, this is slow motion. You haven't seen slow motion in this movie yet. Yeah. You know, like it's playing around with the editing to establish that dreamlike stuff rather than like shooting the actual yeah. like it's all in post, you know, yeah. um, which um, is so cool, I think. Yeah. It's a great it. movie. It's a great movie. It's fucking good. Um, also just his face looks incredible as he's looking through the window with the book yeah. glass. He just looks incredible. Yeah. I was, I was like, as we were talking about this, like there is one other moment where he really emotes and it's when he's like look, looking yeah. through the glass. He looks like um, a different actor almost because he he's emoting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like almost to like the wild look that mm. Mifune will get sometimes. Yeah. In a way that just feels really out of place for like this yeah, character yeah um and it's also not what he's expressing like after he's killed the man and he's yeah. like standing there yeah. like that is still like this like weird simmering like there's just like so much energy in him that's like coming out but he's also still this like um guy who normally doesn't emote and so he's just kind of just like shaking and and having like this weird reaction this is just like him in like actual distress being like no in like a way that yeah just can, can we talk about Mufuna for like two seconds? Yeah. Um, can we just... Here's the thing about Mufuna. Probably the most range of any actor ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> genuinely, probably like the best actor of all time. Yeah. Could do anything. Also the hottest man ever. Uh, also the hottest man ever. <laughs> I still knew the exact facial expression. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. has a he has so many he has a million facial expressions. He can do anything. I knew the facial expression. He yeah. Meant. Yeah. <laughs> it's that one. It's that really yeah. wide-eyed. Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um God, I fucking love Mifune so much. I can't believe we haven't watched a single Mifune movie. I I love that man so much. I I have a couple times thought about it, and I specifically don't want us to go to that well because we already have like a wheelhouse that we live in so much. Yeah. If we start talking about <laughs> Kurosawa movies, we'll never get out. <laughs> we'll just um, live here forever. <laughs> yeah, this is why I'm still feel slight. I mean, of all of the like Japanese movies to bring in that mm-hmm. aren't Yakuza movies, to have it be a funeral parade of roses, I feel okay about because it's, it's like this, like yeah. you know queer nightlife movie thing where we can like have that other angle to it Mm -hmm. but um i do i feel like there are going to be less japanese movies once they get out of this like i want to talk about yakuza film stuff um but unless there will always be the temptation (laughs) of let's talk about kurosawa (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're gonna we're going to watch more kurosawa i just don't want to like it's like a 
Watching Wong Kar Wai and Sai Ming Long, like, it's already, I can feel like every time we have to pick a movie, I'm like, oh, we could just watch another Wong Kar Wai movie. We could do <laughs> yeah. Chungking Express. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It would get really bad if we started doing yeah. Kurosawa. Yeah. Um... Anyway. <laughs> High and Low is a good movie. Yeah. High and Low is a really good movie. I, I was thought of it because we were talking about Yakuza movies. Yeah. That's all. Um, Stairwell, or do we have more stuff I want to talk about? I feel like um, we can get to the stairwell now. Yeah. I It felt weird that we hadn't talked about the car chase at all, because it's, like, one of my favorite scenes. But also, like, it ties so much into, like, it is just making literal, like, their relationship where he's not invested in her, and she's just thrill-seeking, and she just, like, sees this guy on the street who's also driving a hot rod and starts racing with her, you know? Yeah. There's not, like, a ton I have to say about it. Because it's just what the movie is. Yeah. And he's just, like, there. He's yeah. just along for it. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem particularly concerned, but also is like, oh, we're doing this now. It's like it's like the vibe of, like, you know, someone, like, puts on a TV show that you hate, but you know that they like. And you're just like, well, I'm going to let you watch this, but, like, <laughs> I'm just going to sit here on my phone, I guess. Um, like, it's like that vibe, but, like, risking their lives in a car chase. Um. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's all I had about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Stairwell scene. We have already rated it. Um. We rated this last recording. We rated it with an S. Um. We, we named the fucking <laughs> podcast after this stairwell. We, we technically rated it in episode four. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, he climbs up that stairwell. He kills that guy. That guy falls down the stairs. He he stands at the top of the stairs and makes eye contact with her. She mm-hmm. she uh, looks at him, but also through him. She's really good in this yeah. movie. We haven't talked much about her. Um, she gets a lot more to do, and she's very like. I think yeah, she's psycho. Like, I think is the character's name, psycho. Oh. I thought you meant the Hitchcock no. movie for a second. I was like, what? S-A-E-K-O. Yeah. Psycho. Um, yeah, I, she has, like, such expressive eyes. Um, and she turns them so much toward just, like, staring at people very intently. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, incredible hair. Yeah. Every single shot, like, every single scene, she has, like, a new outfit, and it's fucking incredible. Yeah. Um, her, there's a scene where they're, like, trying to repair her car, and they kind of get into a fight, and he, like, walks home in the rain. Um, and that's, like, the wildest hair that she has. Like, she has mm-hmm. other stuff that is, like, really done up hair. I don't know what's going on with her hair in that one. It's great, though. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's one where, like, she has, like, a ponytail off to the side of her head that is then, like wound up in a hair net for some reason, but not the rest of her hair. It's not a food yeah. safety thing. There's just like a, a net around one little chunk of hair. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. She's incredible though. Yeah, she's great. Her eyes are great. Yeah. Um eyes in general are really good in this movie. Yeah. Um the the guy who like never talks but is on promotional materials, who is the drug addict mm-hmm. guy that she ends up with. So that's the other thing. She she dies because he's the drug addict guy kills her. I mean, yeah, I forget if we mentioned that. It's a but crime anyway, of passion because he yeah. was in love with her or something. Uh, 
I maybe missed this in the Shinoda interview. Is that the guy, is that drug addict guy the um, lead actor that the studio had wanted him to put in the movie? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think it is, but I it crossed my mind that maybe that's why he's like, because he doesn't talk ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's just yeah, like a know. guy. But also, like, if you need to put three actors on the poster, like, there aren't that many characters in this movie. Yeah, I guess uh, Takashi Fujiki, or yeah. it'll be Fujiki Takashi would be the yeah. You know. um, um, I'm I'm assuming that he doesn't have a Wikipedia page, um, but yeah, he just hasn't like he doesn't talk. He just stares. Yeah, mostly Ikeb Rio. Yeah, um, and has incredible eyes. Um, there's a part during the raid where he's just standing in the dark with like a spotlight on him. Yeah, just staring. It's great. Yeah, it's fucking incredible. The cinema. <laughs> the cinema. <laughs> um. Anyway, the walk up the stairwell is I remember it being long and we were watching it and there was a part where I thought it was over and then it kept going. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> what happened was it got to where we have the art for the podcast and I was like, this is the last one. And then there was like two more shots yeah. of just more stairs. It just like, wasn't Thank. as good of a yeah. like aesthetic shot. Yeah. But- yeah. It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. And the entire time, this is what movies are about. Is yeah. You walk up a really tall, ornate stairwell and contemplate the inevitable tragedy of your life. Yeah. While a, while, while a choir just like... Yeah. And then you stab a man and the man falls down the stairs. Yeah. The, uh, one more <laughs> thing to pull out from the Shinoda interview uh, is he says, he, like, he told the composer, like, I don't want a single harmonic note in this. Just yeah. all dissonance. Every single note of every song, dissonance. <laughs> yeah, except for that one piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. Um, one of my favorite movies. It's great. We have emails. We do. Um, Regs says, uh, welcome to the famous city, the Windy Apple. How windy is it? Um, Say the line. It's it's not because of the wind. It's because of the politicians. Thank you. <laughs> Our politicians are famously windy. <laughs> um, anyway, you need to answer. How windy is it? It's windier than St. Louis was, for sure. Yeah. Um, is that a podcasting cat I hear? It is. Hey, bud. Um, Lemus joined us. Regs goes on to say, what is a genre film? Is it a useful way to think about the best bits of, say, crime and yaksa films or horror and sci-fi films? Or do you think of yourselves as fans of genres or fans of genre films at all? Um, I have, a, I have an extremely film studies answer to this, so I'll let you go first. I have... Um, I don't... I think this is maybe more strongly than I feel about it, but I always think about the um, Kurt Vonnegut quote where he talks about like um getting like getting described as a sci-fi writer by literary critics because they just wanted to like shove all the you know shove a bunch of books that they didn't think were worthy of consideration um into the same drawer you know um yeah that's how i feel about a lot of like calling things genre films they're like 
genres that I am a fan of, but mostly like I think the term genre film exists because if it's not a melodrama of some kind, it is often not considered like worthy of the same sort of critical consideration that um, the King's Speech is or what yeah. have you. But then like Oscar bait is its own genre in a way. Yes, for sure. Um, my extremely film studies answer is that um, genre is a very malleable term and uh, it's really highly based on who is talking about genre and for what reason. Um, there are lots of different ways that genre is defined. There is the genre that is defined by studio systems. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is defined specifically for marketing purposes. Um, it is how do I describe this movie in such a way that I can market it as best as possible and yeah. get the most people to come out and watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the like most cynical and shitty version of genre to me. Um, but there, there are other ways that genre is used. Um, one of the big ones is a lot of creators think about genre in a way that um, I, I feel like this ha- happens in film, but I feel like you see it far more in music. Um, but like, especially early film, this happened a lot. Um, like, um, was it Sunrise or whatever? There, there's this movie that's like, it's described as like a, a sun poem or something. Yes. yes. Um, and like, that was the genre that the director said that the movie was. Yeah. And that's a, that's a nonsense genre. And this yeah. happens a lot with like music too, where you're like, Oh, this is crab core. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, what the fuck does crab core mean? Like, that's not <laughs> useful to anybody other than the band that is saying that they're crab core. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm just using crab core as like a famous yeah. stupid example. Of this. Yeah. Um, but like, there are lots of these, like, you know, I, I remember the, I remember the joke, um, Back in, it, this is probably still a joke. I just don't hang out with, I don't, I have accepted that I will never like heavy metal. And so I just don't like hang out with people talking about heavy metal anymore. Yeah. But there was a joke back in the day anyway, that was like there, if you could just put a noun in front of the word metal, there is a band that plays it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so this is another way of conceiving a genre, which is like, how do I set myself apart from other works? Um, and then another way, and I think there are ways beyond this, but like, it's the way that we probably operate in the most. When I'm talking about Yakuza cinema, I'm operating in this mode, which is a mode that critics tend to take, which is how do I use genre to talk about how works are interrelated? Yes. Um, and so then that is a thing where it's like, okay, the use of talking about genre is I can talk about pale flower and then I can talk about how it is. This is is what cats are like. You're one of them. You should know. Are you coming in? Whatever. But, this, you know, I'm talking about Yakuza cinema and I'm talking about it in this way where I'm like, this film is doing interesting things with the form of mm. Yakuza film. Yes. And so I'm using it both to talk about how this is similar to other works. Yeah. As well as how it differs. Yeah. Um, and this is the one that I tend to find the most productive, but I'm a critic. You're, so we, it makes sense. Like, yeah. I'm doing the form of defining genre that makes sense for the intention that I have, which yeah. is to talk about how films and how they interrelate. So Yeah, this is a, this is also the reason that I um, lean on talking about genre, because I, um, like, I just find, like, intertextuality, like, a good way to do criticism um, and, like, a useful mode for me to have as a critic. And so I will talk about sci-fi as a genre or horror as a genre because it is important to establish 
for me, like how works relate to other works. This is why we did this whole lengthy conversation on Arcanum recently about like, what is science fiction? Um, because it is important to me to like, like drill down specifically to what, um, do I want to talk about when I talk about science fiction so that I can specifically be like, oh, well, you know, Perfect State by Brandon Sanderson is bad science fiction because it doesn't, like, connect to the like these sorts of things that I think are so important about the genre or whatever. Yeah. I haven't read Perfect State. The other two people on that podcast got roped into that, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, and that's also, like, part of what I think is interesting and useful, too, is that it lets me talk about, like, how do you things evolve over time? Um, it's just always like this. Um... <laughs> Which then also, but then also lets me do things where I'm being slightly tongue in cheek. Where mm-hmm. like once we do a bunch of Yakuza movies, we're gonna watch Drive, and I'm gonna talk about how it's a Yakuza movie, right? And that's a kind of tongue in cheek thing yeah. because I don't think Drive is fully engaging with like the genre and the way that I think something like this is actually more intentionally commenting on like mm. an actual genre form and trying to like develop on it. Yeah. But also, I think talking about Drive as a Yakuza film is like useful and informative and i think also there's Mm -hmm. a a certain joy that i have in like taking hollywood cinema and talking about how unoriginal some of the stuff is yeah or like how much is just pulling from stuff that's being done in other spaces well and for me as a person who like hadn't seen a yakuza movie before this year um other than before this year like before 2021 other than kurosawa did not really in and anime did not really engage with like japanese cinema um like, it is really interesting to me to think a lot, oftentimes about um, the ways that, like, you know, Golden Age Hollywood cinema gets exported to the rest of the world, and then in the 50s, 60s, 70s, Hollywood just totally collapses out from under itself, and, um, like, so many, like, s- traditions of cinema throughout the world, like, take all this Golden Age stuff, like, rework it and then in the 70s and 80s all that comes back to hollywood and so like talking about drive as a yox movie is fun for me because like it is because like ghost dog isn't (laughs) is an influence on drive and like Jim Jarmusch is watching like 80 different crime movies from 80 different countries when he makes Ghost Dog. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you have a movie that is extremely like this, which is just like a completely like spaced out guy who hardly talks. Yeah. Um, and then just like goes around and kills people. Yeah. So spoilers for Drive. <laughs> sure does stomp that man's face. Sure does. I remember, I remember the first time being in the theater watching that. I was like, "Damn, he's really going for it." Now, every time I'm watching, I'm like, "He could go longer." Yeah. <laughs> the first time it really got me, and every time since then, I'm like, "It goes just long enough that you're like, wow, it could go longer." You know what else to make that scene better? Huh? If instead of it happening in an elevator, it was in a stairwell. stairwell. <laughs> Hunter emails to says last podcast i think autumn made a joke about uh sending movies they have not seen they would give their opinions i thought it sounded funny so here's a few movies hopefully you haven't seen them um he got game any takes on he got game have you seen he got game i have not seen i have no i've not seen he got game Um, i'm gonna look at the poster i'm gonna yeah i'll permit myself looking at the poster for this 
Um, what if I find out that these are all just joke names? No. This is movie. Oh, um, yeah. This is the Denzel Washington like basketball movie. Yeah. Um, I love Denzel. I have not seen many Denzel movies, um, but wh- every time I see him, I'm just I'm excited. I love him. Yeah. Um, I think, um, having not seen this movie, no. I think that Denzel Washington is one of the real highlights of this movie. Um, <laughs> I think there's a, a part in the middle where it kind of drags a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I think <laughs> the acting really sells it overall. Um, there's just the, the, the conversation that happens between him and his son is phenomenal. <laughs> Um, acting is just incredible. Um, <coughs> we all also have Blue Heaven, which I'm trying to find a movie poster for. Um, this looks dreadful. This looks awful. This is a Steve Martin, Rick Moranis movie from the 80s. I, I have no problems with Steve Martin. I have no problems with Rick Moranis. I guess, theoretically, I have no problem with, like, comedies from the 80s that like stem out of like National Lampoons and SNL and all that stuff or so yeah. stuff like theoretically there's nothing wrong with this movie but uh, I don't know yeah ooh 1990 um, that's like at the tail end of <laughs> like yeah. this era of comedy I feel like um I think that some of the jokes still hold up, but there's a lot that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, they're definitely both gay for each other in this movie. Definitely, it, this movie is about how they both need to fuck but aren't going to. There, there was like having sp- having totally seen this movie, I can tell you, <laughs> Lem? there's definitely some gay stuff happening. Um, this is what I deal with all the time. <laughs> I just thought he was gonna sit right there, and then he just no. <laughs> No, he jumps up. So there's there's parts on the podcast. It actually doesn't come up that much. I used to say it when he would jump up because I thought it came up on the mic. He jumps up on there all the fucking time. Okay. I've um, never heard it. Yeah. Listeners, if you can hear when Lem is like moving the ironing board around, let us know. Yeah. Because I put the like, mic and laptop on an ironing board in yeah. my closet. Yeah. But uh, I look at a new Tenna poster. Yeah. Um, Anthony's boobs are just right there in my face yeah. all day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the, the one unfortunate thing is someone definitely says a slur in this movie, right? Yeah. Someone definitely says a slur somewhere in blue heaven. Yeah. A lot of the jokes don't hang up, uh, don't hold up, but, um, the one about dildos is really good. <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, we have Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, uh, um, which is not out yet. Yeah. Um, you believe in the futurity of pizza, so I'm sure yeah. you're going to be excited about this. I've I've made this pizza before. This is um, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie that has a poster that kind of looks like Boogie Nights and kind of looks like Inherent Vice, so I'm sure it'll be a classic. Yeah. Or um, it won't be. Uh, it's delicious. You need to use the right cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, you want a cheese that's not too sweet because the licorice is going to bring a little bit of sweetness. Yeah. Um, then a little bit, not much, but just a little bit, just to like give a little bite. You need a little bit of onion. Mm-hmm. And then you have the the licorice, and then if you pair it with a little bit of fennel, this is the secret. 
you get a little bit of shaved fennel. That marries it all together because the fennel's like bringing it in. Okay. You, you know, it's got the same flavor, but it's bringing licorice? black licorice. Okay. Please. I, I can't eat black licorice. Please. It makes me vomit. I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, that was a fun question. <laughs> M says, and I'm just going to read this. I thought about trying to abbreviate this, but I'm just going to read this. I got the Criterion box set of Once Upon a Time in China for Christmas, and one of their special features is a British critic talking about how Once Upon a Time in China is actually about the disquiet that Hong Kong will lose something when it reverts back to China. A movie that spends two hours talking about the violence that Westerners have inflicted on Chinese people and land and culture just by existing there. Outrageous. (laughs) I have not seen Once Upon a Time in China. It is, um... I, oh, let me read. Let me finish M's email. Okay. Anyway, um, with Boat People just announced as getting a Criterion release, how do you feel about Criterion's strange efforts in doing the State Department's job vis-a-vis how we talk about China and the soft power war we continue to do a bad job of fighting? At least they're releasing some good movies. I'm not counting Boat People. Haven't seen that one, but Once Upon a Time in China rips. Uh, anyway, keep potting and I'll keep emailing. Um, I think I've talked about this before. Um, we talk about a lot of Hong Kong movies on here, and we will continue to do so. Um, so also Taiwanese. In Taiwanese yeah. movies. Um, like, I'm a Marxist-Leninist and maybe a Maoist. Um, and, like, I when I watch movies from the U.S., good movies, bad movies, whatever... I can usually, like, spot the sort of, like, stuff politically going on. Like, I can see what it's going for politically in a way that sometimes I worry that I don't have that, like, awareness of for, like, movies um, from other countries, particularly, like, Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies. Um, To where, like, I'm sure, I'm 100% certain that there is, like ideology happening in the mood for love um i'm certain that 2046 will have this because 2046 ties back into the previous movie but also that is like some significant year for i believe when hong kong will be like totally no british presence there or something like that like that is the year that like hong kong will no longer be a colony if i remember this right so i'm sure that will these things will like have like political ideology and I like don't trust my ability to like parse it at all. Yeah. Um, you look like you were going to say something, so I'm still collecting my thoughts. So please go. I, part of me is like, I think this is just a, a a difficulty with a lot of international cinema. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's one of the things of like, I want to break out of what are my like, international cinema holes which are japanese cinema and icelandic cinema but part of my comfort around those is the fact that i like understand politically what is happening in these movies Mm -hmm. that when i watch yakuza movies i understand because of just one having seen a number of these 
one having like I had a, a friend for a long time. We did a lot of like communist work in Japan. Mm. And so I talked to her a fair amount about like political conditions in Japan mm-hmm. and like what communist work looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and like I have those backings and then I also have done reading including reading where like thankfully I've been able to get translations from like professors having taken classes that are from Japanese perspectives, like people in Japan writing about Japanese movies Mm -hmm. about like, here is how Japan thinks about Yakuza cinema and not, this is what like mainstream Western thought of Yakuza cinema is. Right. Um, And so I feel comfortable talking about that. And the other area is Iceland. And it's just because like, I, I know some Icelandic. I've like have read Icelandic newspapers. I have lots of friends in Iceland. I also have an awareness of political stuff there where I can watch Angel of the Universe and I know politically what's what they're talking about in there. We didn't talk about it a lot because that part of why I love that movie is there's so many layers. Mm. And so for me being like, I'm not gonna sit down and be like, Okay, here's a podcast where I'm gonna explain to you, Autumn, the like intricacies of Icelandic nationalism that's happening in, in Angels in the Universe, mm. just because I wrote a paper about that. <laughs> so let's talk about a thing that I didn't talk about a lot in there, which is like, how does it portray mental health? Uh-huh. Which is the thing that both of us cued in on. Um, so part of it is that like, yeah, there, there's a certain amount of comfort sometimes when you actually know that political stuff. But I also don't want to be like, well, I'm not going to cover like these films from Africa because I don't yeah fully understand the political stuff that's going on there and like there's stuff where like you know mm-hmm. i can read like wikipedia pages and get an idea but i i'm still not going to have that same sense mm-hmm. where i would trust it if i was reading an essay from a person like mm-hmm. from multiple people especially living in that country and talking about like what is this film doing i guess that helps me like bring together the thought i was starting to get to which is like to get back to m's question like I guess the anxiety I sometimes have around this is, like, I might watch Once Upon a Time in China and be like, or or Hero, and be like, oh, I think this is about, um, you know, um, I might watch Hero and think that it is about, like, wanting China to be unified, you know, regardless of, like, what the unification looks like. Like that is kind of my basic read on what hero is about is that like, it would be better for, you know, the whole country for the country to be whole again, even if not everybody is a hundred percent happy with the PRC or something like that. That's like my very basic read on that. And sometimes I worry that if I were to go like watch, you know, a criterion interview, with some critic who's talking about it or read the the criterion essay, the little booklet. Um, and it would be like, Oh, actually this is about how, um, you know, all of China needs to be unified under us occupation. I would just be like, well, I guess that must be what it's about because this person must know more than I do. (laughs) You know, I, I feel like I sometimes, um, can can have a tendency to just go with whatever the last like authoritative voice told me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, um, and that's the, the, yeah, the criterion doing this thing where it's going to, because it is an American company, because it distributes films in the U S it is going to have this sort of like, um, U S oriented, like, um, take on things. Um, yeah, I worry sometimes, like, if I take in too much of that, am I going to start thinking that, you know, all these movies are about these things, 
and not trust my own instincts as a viewer yeah. watching, you know? Um, and I, some of this, I think, gets down to stuff around scholarship that I just had to think about a lot when I was doing more of this work, especially in writing, which is, um, it can be hard, but one possible, I often prefer to find people who are writing about, like, if I'm doing international cinema, I prefer to find people who are writing about that cinema within mm. that country, um, and then usually try to find differing perspectives within that country as well, where it's not just, well, I found one essay from someone there. Yeah. But this is really difficult because a lot of that doesn't get translated. Yeah. Um, this is this is honestly like part of what I was writing in my paper, which is that English language scholarship on Icelandic cinema is incredibly um, limited. Mm. And there is the stuff that's happening with Icelandic language scholarship. But basically there's like one person who is defining English. Mm. And it was someone from Iceland, but it's still like, we're just getting his there there are other people who would be in conversation with him yeah and we're not seeing that yeah um and other people are writing about it or like i watched three films and i wrote like four pages in a chapter on a book about nordic cinema mm. um and so you know like i have another part where i just take totally take issue on the way that people in the u.s talk about another film by the same director for mm. the um called devil's island which has this very U.S. centric perspective. Um, it's one of the bigger ones that have been talked about because it takes place on the U.S. Army base, um, and so people talk about like, oh, they're sitting and they're watching the American television and dreaming of a better life. And it's like, no, this is actually in this process of like what's happening and what they're talking about at the time was these fears around globalization that we had just escaped from Denmark as like the colonial power that we were a colony of. Because of World War II, and specifically because first the British and then the U.S. occupied us. And now the U.S. are occupying us, and everyone's just watching U.S. television and listening to U.S. music. Mm -hmm, and is mm -hmm. this is this just the new form of colonialism? Mm -hmm. Are we now just a colony of America? They just call it something else. Yeah. We're just a strategic ally in the fight against, you know, first fascism and now communism. Yeah. Right? Because it's a strategic point where planes would have to refuel. Right. To land in land in Iceland. Um, right. And so there's this whole perspective on like that film that is around like, oh, this is about like these people living in these slums and they want like the American dream. And it's like, that's not what this movie's fucking about. Yeah. Um, but you need to have the reading. And some of that reading is also people writing about the actual political issues even mm -hmm. beyond the film. Yeah. Like when I wrote a, an essay about that um movie i was bringing in stuff where it's like here are actual just surveys of like what mm. were political opinions around u.s television mm. um u.s music and yeah. stuff and then how is this film complicating that saying like okay but also just sticking with tradition is not the solution mm. so yeah. um but yeah it the the thing is that it takes work and so sometimes we'll watch angels of the universe and i'm not going to talk about that we're just going to talk about how it yeah. portrays mental illness and i think that's yeah. Like, I don't think you always need to have, like, here's yeah. a full political reading of this film mm -hmm. um, to always have it be, like, a yeah. good or worthwhile discussion. Yeah. I, yeah, I often will have political readings on movies that I don't always bring here because I don't trust in my abilities to do that as a critic. And I think that's, like, important work that I don't want to, like, mess up. I have um, sort of, like, like, I, I am a Marxist-Leninist. I am not the most well-read Marxist-Leninist, so I have, like, loose frameworks for how I might do that. 
but like none of the like stuff I know really applies to and how do you like you know talk about pale flower yeah <laughs> um um you know so um Marin says hi this movie rules so hard I regularly find various shots and scenes from it drifting into my mind when rewatching this the other day I was transfixed by the transfixed by the sounds of the bet callers and the shuffling cards during the card game scenes they almost feel like rituals or seances of a sort this is something that Shinoda like literally says is that yeah. the ritual of the uh, gambling was like what he wanted to portray here yeah so and wanted to like really spend time on have either of you played the games they're playing in the movie? I don't actually know what the games are. They just seem to be using Hanafuda cards. I have that um, Nintendo Switch 51 Clubhouse games that has some Hanafuda games on there, but I have not spent any time learning those games. Yeah, it's one thing that I, I would like to learn Hanafuda games, just like having... But I, I don't really know them. But I would Just like, like watching a lot of these movies because um sometimes i feel like i know enough of like oh here's like the significance of that card but also it's like i don't know it well enough that sometimes i don't recognize from the deck right like yeah it's like i don't quite know how to recognize a jack but sometimes if i recommend like recognize that a card is a jack Mm -hmm. right then i think the bigger comparison is like tarot because Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people can recognize stuff from like Oh, here's the um like standard decks, like the the writer deck and things. Um, but then you'll get like weirder ones where it's like, you know, I don't know how much tarot you know, but I could show you one where they say like the mother of whatever, and you might be able to figure out, oh, that's like the queen, mm-hmm. right? Um, but yeah, I'd like. To I feel like I'm in that it. level where I'm just like, I don't recognize these cards well enough in this movie yeah. to know all the stuff that they're playing especially because they come up so much in this movie yes yes Um, so there's like a punchline somewhere where it's just like oh she shows him his card and he sees what it is and he laughs and i can't even like i don't have any familiarity (laughs) i would like to learn how to play mahjong mahjong's complicated and i need like a person to teach me how to play mahjong and i don't have time in my life to to do that i have people there are people in my life who have i tweeted I want to learn how how to play Mahjong. Can somebody teach me? I have, like, three people who would reply you, and be like, yes. You also now live in a neighborhood where you could find, like, three different Mahjong yes. Game, like clubs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, I could do that. I just am never going to make time for it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. Also, can you all think of any other movies that are based around a game where you don't need to know how it's played to be so fully drawn into the tension of the game, such what it means for the characters? Um, Sona Tina, they play a lot of games. <laughs> I feel, you know, I feel like um, a lot of sports movies do this in a way that bothers me. I, as a sports fan, want sports movies to be more about like the sports yeah and they're almost always about like very rote hollywood tropes about like if you just put your mind to it you can do anything you know yeah and i always wish when i was watching a basketball movie that i could just see cool basketball happen (laughs) um 
But also, I guess I have the actual NBA for that. But, like, that's different. In the same way that, like, watching MMA is different from watching martial arts movies. I wish, like... I wish people were better at portraying, like, sports and film. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, like... I feel like I've seen a number of sports movies. And then also, like... Was forced to go to a lot of football games when I was on the marching mm-hmm. band. Um... And I feel like there are, like, rituals around sports that often don't really get captured in yeah. movies. Yeah. Because movies are all all about, like, the things that actually often don't happen in sports, which is, like, oh, it's down to the line and there's one last play or whatever. Mm. That's, like, every single sports movie because it's good tension. Mm. But it is not getting at, like, what I think a lot of people... Like, I kind of enjoy baseball of mm-hmm. a lot of sports. And some of that is that I have a friend who's like very big into baseball um, and also knows a lot of stats. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was just being able to talk to him and him like mm-hmm. explaining that some of the joy of baseball is the fact that like no game, no individual game matters mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um, that's not why you watch baseball or why you like baseball is that like one game is going to completely upset an entire season. Yeah. Um, it is all like slow numbers games. It's all like seeing how things are unfolding over time. And that's just something that like, I've never seen captured in a baseball movie. Yeah. Um, there are certain things about, cause I've been to some baseball games that are exciting. And I do feel like to bring it back to Kurosawa, um, stray dog has a part where just randomly they go to a baseball game. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> I, um, I think a lot about um, the scene in Only Yesterday, where I feel like to, to, to answer Marin's question, to answer Marin's question, um, like, um, can you all think of other movies that are based around a game where you don't need to know how it's played? Uh, my answer is like, yes, I can think of those movies, and the thing that would be more exciting to me is like needing to know how a game is played to understand a movie. Like, I would just enjoy that. I think a lot about the scene in Only Yesterday, um, where the way that they find to, to do that, to, like, you can enjoy that scene, even if you've never seen baseball in your life, is frame it as not being about baseball, but about being how the main character, Teiko, is seeing baseball. Because she's not seeing baseball. What she's seeing is the boy she has a crush on, he can pitch, he can hit, he can run the bases, he can do it all, you know, yeah. um, and she's just blown away by him, and it's not about the game, it's about just being, like, head over heels for this boy, and you're 12 years old, you know, yeah. finding ways for the game to, in, in Pale Flower, the game is not um, really, like, it doesn't matter what's happening in the Hanafuda, what matters is the ritual of Hanafuda and, and, and what the gambling is doing for these people. Yeah. Um, eventually we'll get the Sonatine and then mm-hmm. we can just really talk about how the the space where people play games in between the job that they do of killing people mm-hmm. is the, the one possibility for p- perhaps redemption or moving beyond this existence. Mm-hmm. Really, Sonatine is a movie about how you need to just try and work as little as possible and play as much as possible. This is like a short episode for us. It is. I had an idea for how it's to make it. It's because we didn't a... talk about an hour. 
Yeah. Of I, movies. <laughs> I had an idea just now for how to make it a lot longer, but I'm not going to do it. You are getting tired. What okay. is the idea, then? I had... Just last week or two weeks ago, I started keeping a letterboxed list of, like, ranking every movie I've seen this year, basically. Yeah. And I was just going to ask you, like, what are your three favorite movies you've seen this year? Um, that's almost a boring question, because... Um, like, I don't... What did I put for my three favorites that I'd seen this year? Um, it might have been, like, Wings of Desire, Mulholland, and Rebels of the Neon God, which is, like, a boring answer, you yeah. know? Um, I mean, I... Is it Saw for the first time this year? Because that changes it drastically. Um, I... My list that I did is just Saw this year, because... For me, so much of the project of stairwells is like, oh, let me watch this movie I haven't seen in 10 years and, um, like, see how I still feel about it. Yeah. My top 10 for movies I've watched in 2021, Rosalind Neon God, Mulholland Drive, In the Mood for Love, Cleo from 5 to 7, Clueless, Wings of Desire, Mikey and Nikki, Tokyo Drifter, House, Texas Chainsaw. So you want the top three? Just go look at the top four favorite movies on Letterboxd. You've seen all four of these movies this year? No, not that one. Okay. But not Ikaru, but Sunday okay. Teenage Rebels of the Neon God and Angels of the Universe. We should. Watch, I've never seen Ikaru. It's really good. We should watch that. Um, we should just watch that sometime when we want to watch a movie and we're not doing a podcast. Yeah. Because I don't Maybe. know if I want to talk about Ikaru like at this point on the podcast while we're doing yeah a bunch of Yakuza movies and other Japanese movies. Yeah. So um I love that movie a lot though. What's the worst movie you saw this year? What's the worst movie What's that the I worst saw this movie year? you saw this year? This is gonna be harder. Well maybe not. Maybe I'll look at it and be like, oh I know instantly. I have I carry you with me really well on this list. Oh it's not at the bottom, but it's pretty low. Well wait, let me let me look at see if the, the rating works out here um how did i write or how did i rate evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 three stars i fucking hate that movie so much i feel like that's the worst movie you saw this year yeah according to letterboxd ratings 101 reykjavik is but that's not right that's not actually true Mm -hmm. this is what jackson was tweeting about that you can't rate a movie right after you saw it you have to like give it a month yeah to like think about it Give it three months, um, ideally. Yeah. Like, I Carry You With Me was... Oh, no, I fucking know what it was. Um, technically, this year, I watched Mobile Suit Gundam, the 08th MS Team Miller's Report. <sighs> um, I like 08th MS Team. Mm. That movie sucks. Is that just a recap movie? For the most part, there's like a, a few extra scenes with the titular character Miller, who mm. doesn't show up in the, the show. Um, but it's, it's so unnecessary, but no, it really actually probably is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. I put Mortal Kombat here at the bottom, not Mortal Kombat 1993, but Mortal Kombat 2021. Um, but I'm looking at that Lego Batman movie and I really hate that thing. I really yeah. hate that thing. I might bump that down a few spots <clears throat> to make that the worst. I, I know that you haven't, can I just briefly rant about 3.0 plus 1.0? Yeah, go for it. I'm not. Yeah. Gonna, I'm never. I'm never gonna watch this. Yeah. Or 
it is possible I'm going to watch it. I, I'm not pressed about it. Yeah. Um, I hate that the end of that movie is that Shinji has to fight his dad. Okay. I fucking hate that about it. <laughs> um, Sometimes, like, this is the thing that we talk about on the Ghost Divers episode, um, is that sometimes people are just really shitty in your life. And then you just move on and they're just still this shitty person who existed. And that's just reality. Mm -hmm. Like you just, Gendo is just a shitty fucking person. And the solution isn't that like Shinji makes good with his dad by like having a robot fight that is like about the tensions between them. Literally Gendo is just like an abusive piece of shit who does not deserve being fought in a way where he gets resolution Mm -hmm. to me. Mm Mm-hmm. He does not deserve that. Mm-hmm. Like he's a, a abuser and a groomer and should literally the end of the movie, like Gendo's end should not be any sort of resolution with Shinji. It should be like Ritsuko just shoots him and he's dead mm-hmm. and he doesn't get to go to the like impact mm-hmm. because he's just dead and he doesn't get to be with Yui. Yeah. Which is how I read like the end of mm-hmm. stuff, you know, with the, the series. Mm-hmm. I don't want it like it repeats and then there's a version where he like gets to have some sort of like conversation with Shinji and they reflect on the ways that they're similar or whatever. No, he gets shot by Ritsuko and just fucking dies and doesn't get mm-hmm. to go to meet Yui because yeah. he dies before Second yeah. Impact can happen. He's awful. Yeah. That's the I, thing I'm most mad about is just the fact that they make so much of the movie about trying to resolve the relationship between Shinji and Gendo. And that's not what Ava is like Ava to me is fundamentally about what it is suggested by the end of 2.0, which is that like abused people come together to help each other escape abuse. And that is like a powerful thing that can happen. Yeah. Um, and that is like what I want Ava to be and what so often Anno fights against it being, even though it's like, continues to be what he seems to be interested in until finally towards the end, he's like, but no, actually it's about how you need to stay with your abuser End of Evangelion ending. What if, what if two was just the end of Evangelion to me? Yeah. What if I? What if that's it just a stops that's a there? beautiful dream. <laughs> um, I uh, here's where I'm at with Ano, and I won't I don't want to talk about Ano too long, but I, he was on my mind a little bit today because I was listening to a podcast about Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I started. Um, I'll just throw out this to listeners. Um. I started listening to a podcast called Rankin Vile. Um, it is a podcast where they are watching horror movies and ranking them on a list um, from best to worst of all time. Uh, seems like a, I, I bristled at it a little bit. It's a little bit like two guys just broing down. It's a little bit too much of that for me, but yeah. it's growing on me. I'm starting to like these guys after three episodes. <laughs> Um, I'm listening to their Shin Godzilla episode today. The the Shin Godzilla episode is a little bit like someone says, um, I kid you not, because they're talking about the, there's that um, one piece of music that's like got the choral thing that's in English in Shin Godzilla. Um, and someone says, I'm almost certain this is like a, me quoting them from memory. The Japanese think English sounds cool. You can't call people the Japanese. <laughs> you yeah. can't do that. There's a little bit of like exoticizing Japanese people on that podcast. Yeah. But anyway, I was listening to this podcast and thinking about uh, how much I just love Shin Godzilla, how much I love Gunbuster, 
how much I love 26 episodes of Evangelion. And I think Anno's problem is that he just gets to keep going sometimes. Yeah. I like I like when he's contained, when you have to just like rein him in. And anytime he gets to like add anytime he gets to say and one more thing, it goes bad for me. Yeah. Um also since we didn't talk about it on the podcast, three point is such a nothing movie to me. I don't no. remember hardly any of it. Um there's some like slightly good moments with Shinji and Kawaru, but it's so it's such nothing. Yeah. The other thing with 3.0 plus 1.0 that I fucking hate is they do me, me being Masato, so mm-hmm. dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just hate what they do with her character. I'm not going to go into more detail there, but I think you told me. Yeah. Maybe. There's there's just stuff around like either you or Jackson told me, or I pieced it together from you yeah. and Jackson talking about it. Yeah. Um. Basically, they they literalize. So Misato's already Shinji's mom. Mm-hmm. This is this is the text of the show. Mm-hmm. Is that Misato is Shinji's like adoptive mom, mm-hmm. um, and she goes through a lot of struggles that I think new moms go through of like how do I be a good parent and like how do I not fuck this up? Um, and as I said multiple times on Ghost Divers, I think I'm a lot better mom than Misato is, <laughs> but I still see like a certain legitimate struggle that like new parents have and especially new moms around like how to be a good mom and like this ideal that mm-hmm. people have of like motherhood and how do you live up to that? Yeah. Um, they make her a literal mom mm-hmm. to a character who we like briefly meet and is literally just named. Um, what's the guy? I'm totally drawing. Kaiji. Yeah. Um, no. Um, the, Kaji. Dad. Kaji. Kaji. Yeah. Kaji. Yeah. Um, and so it's like literally just, I his knew name. I was wrong, but I couldn't feel it's his... like the, the dumb, why would you just name him the yeah. guy that you fucked? And like, why would you just give him the exact same name as his dad? Anyway. Um, and then like, she just completely abandons this kid who we barely meet, um, to go try and fight Gendo. It's just, yeah, I just hate it because there's something actually legitimately real and interesting about Misato and motherhood that um, Ano could never actually fucking talk about in an yeah. interesting way. Um, I wish that there was a version of Evangelion that I could write where the main changes would be specifically Misato and Kaji, and it would be one actually portraying brat for brat in an interesting way, mm-hmm. and two actually like doing interesting stuff around mm-hmm. the motherhood stuff that. Anna's like pulling at and then just continually flubs. Yeah. Um, Cause he's a sexist man. I, I say this as somebody who loves Gunbuster with like my whole entire heart. I think Gunbuster is perfect in every way. Uh, I don't think Anna thinks that women are people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've read the comics that his wife wrote. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm always thinking about that bit in the Ghibli documentary that we watched. Where someone jokingly says to Miyazaki, well, we could get Ano. He's not a very good actor. And Miyazaki's like, that's stupid. Wait, hold on a minute. <laughs> um, what if we got Ano? He's not a very good actor. Yeah. Anyway, I'm done talking about yeah. Ano. Okay. Um, do you have anything else to talk about? Um, we, we pulled this out a little bit longer. Yeah, I think I'm good. Okay. So Kokoro real? Oh, Kokoro was real. Oh, wait, do we, we need to actually like do the sign-offs.
Oh, yeah, shit. You can find me on Twitter, at Autumnal underscore coffee. All the other podcasts at uh, exportodd.io. That's also the Patreon. You can give us a dollar a month, get everything early, get the hot singles early. You and I are going to do a hot singles episode tomorrow about some fucking Christmas music. And yeah. then sometime in the very near future, I'm just going to get back on like regular hot singles with regs. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, you can follow me at FoxMomNia on Twitter. Um, you can also follow Garfield a lot, but I've been really bad about it lately. Yeah. Um, just can't get excited for Garf. Um, honestly, it's just been weird and busy. Yeah. Um, and what else? Ghost Divers. I've mentioned them multiple times. Yeah. Um, go listen to Ghost Divers. If you go to like whatever podcast app and search Ghost Divers, it should show up. Or xbarodio slash Ghost Divers. Yep. Um, listen to Back End Book Club. Uh, we're gonna Nora and I are gonna try our damnedest to be on Back End Book Club this week, and I don't know if it's gonna happen. We're gonna start the two towers, um, and hopefully Nora and I will be able to make that work. Yeah, so. you have a internet situation. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hi, Ollie. Who's Ollie? Um, yeah, three cats in here now. <laughs> Shut the um, hell up. <laughs> and then, oh, we're also watching "Let Me Die a Woman" next week. Oh right. Um, I put that on here because I was excited about it, and I've definitely lost a little bit of interest. But I think it'll be fun. Yeah. The worst thing that could happen is we watch a mid movie. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. I feel like I had some other thing to promo, but. Oh, this is a thing that actually ties back to a question. So uh, December 18th, I think, is going to be the deadline for writing in questions for the uh, Independent People bonus episode of Ghost Divers. Uh, we're reading the novel Independent People. And I thought of this because in a very similar way with Criterion, the English language translation that was published in America about Independent People, which was written by a, a communist author in Iceland, um does this whole like interpretation of the novel about like um you know this anti-hero man who's like struggling mm-hmm. uh and like fighting for this dream of independence basically um and that's not what that book is about yeah so you can listen to our episode to find out what that book's about um spoiler alert it's about communism and how we should all be communists because <laughs> it was written by Helder Loxus a communist um <laughs> But yeah, that's very specifically a movie about, damn it, cats, <laughs> a movie about, or a book about communism mm. that uh, is being reinterpreted actively by American audiences. So. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank <laughs> you.